Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast, where we give you the tools to live life by design, not by diagnosis. I'm your host, Brooke Slick, and here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of two of our interview with Dr. Richard Burt. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me after listening to part one and how anxious they are to see what awaits in part two. I even had one listener who messaged me and said that the interview with Dr. Burt should be required watching for everyone with MS. And I'm not going to disagree with that deduction. If you have PPMS, whether you're considering HSCT or not, you should definitely listen to this episode. Dr. Burt completely reframes the type of disease PPMS is or isn't. If you want to hear about the future of organ and tissue repair, including, but not exclusive to, remyelination, you should listen to this episode. Those topics are just scratching the surface of what this medical innovator brings to the table for the future of the treatment of chronic illnesses, debilitating injuries, and to the exciting new world of neuroregeneration. I feel certain that what he's working on today is laying the groundwork for treatments that will be considered commonplace over the next 30 years. Before we jump into this next episode, I wanted to let you know that this episode will be available to view on the MS Gym's YouTube page, and there will be links in the episode notes to that YouTube page. There will also be links to part one of this interview, as well as links to Dr. Burt's book, his website, as well as an email where you can contact Dr. Burt's team if you're considering HSCT. Now, let's get the show on the road. Here we go. What do you say? And there's a lot of people out here waiting for the answer to this one. What do you say to patients who have PPMS who would like to consider HSCT? Primary progressive MS? Yes. So I don't do them. I don't see them. I don't do it. I'm sorry. What's that? I don't offer transplant for people with primary progressive MS. My bias is primary progressive MS is a different disease than relapse and remitting MS. So it's called- That was my next question because I went to a conference um, of Dr. Sadiq's of Tish a few years ago, and he very clearly stated that he believes PPMS is a completely different animal than MS. I do too. So even everything that we call relapse and remitting MS, you know, it can be quite variable in different patients. Uh, and I think with time, we'll tease those out into different subsets as well, because it used to be that neuromyelitis optica or Tevix disease was called MS. It was just a, t- you know, it was just MS in which you had long spinal cord lesions and optic neuritis at presentation, and with little brain involvement until late in the disease, then you get the brain involvement. But uh, they just thought it was a type of MS, and people argued back and forth for. 100 years, you know, whether it was different. But now we know it's different that neuromyelitis optica is due to an antibody to astrocytes, an antibody to aquaporin 4, a sodium water channel uh, uh, receptor in these astrocytes. And you don't see that in MS. It's specific for neuromyelitis optica. And, um, you know, it's it's much more rare than MS, uh, but it also tended, you know, to be you know, you could tell by the MRI of the cord there, the lesions tend to be three vertebral lengths long, three vertebral bodies c- continuously in length, 
Whereas an MS is always less than one vertebral body, unless they become confluent, then it looks long, but it's just, there's so many that are confluent. Uh, and it also uh, is very common in the uh, optic tract, well, so is MS, but it's just much more common with uh, neuromyelitis optica. So the people were kind of diagnosing it clinically. And then um, eventually with the discovery of the Aquaporin 4, it's now clearly a separate distinct disease uh, than MS, but it's a CNS demyelinating disease like MS that is affects the brain and, and spinal cord, but it's different. So I think with time, I mean, you'll see some MS patients have all these lesions and yet not much disability. You'll, you know, that you'll see some with a few lesions, a lot of disability, and it's not the location in the brain. The MS behaves differently in different people. There's going to be different pathophysiology, but within the relapse remaining, fortunately, this HSCT works very well. It appears to be all kind of immune mediated. By the way, the regimen I have to use for DEVIX is different. Cytoxin ATG is not enough, they'll relapse. So we have to do it differently, and that's in the book. Again, the regimens have to be designed for the disease. You know, it's still a non-mild wave regimen, it's just more immune suppressive. And it that regimen works, you know, but I think it's too unnecessarily immune suppressive for MS. So um, uh, I, th I my take on primary progressive, you know, 90% of people at onset are relapsing, remaining 10% primary progressive, roughly, is that that's a totally different disease up front. And it's more predominantly neurodegenerative and not immune-mediated process from the beginning. And so that's why I will not offer transplant for that, which is really an immune-based therapy. It's an immune reset therapy that's very effective but it has to be done the right subset of patients with the right regimens and of course you can never make mortality zero that's the big handicap if it could be i think uh you know there there'd be a lot more acceptance but once you get that mortality really low 0.5 percent or less and people are seeing these results and a lot of people you know quality of life is really important and if you're only looking at being in a wheelchair and no quality of life, uh, not being able to bring in an income, that money that you do have or your family has is just being spent for a future you don't have, and you're losing who you are from MS, you know, you look at those risk benefits are not so bad. So that's why I'm saying these decisions have to be made by someone who is in those shoes, uh, you know, not by those of us who are on our sofa uh, thinking about it. It's the person in the arena um, as one of my patients said, Eritrea, that is getting their butt kicked, you know, that really understands, knows, and, you know, has to make that decision. The patient with given informed consent as best as we can. And I think that's why it's so bizarre that it's patients like yourselves that have had to go out and push this. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so many patients say to me, well, why aren't institutions and doctors standing on rooftops shouting about this. It's like, it's so weird. You know, it's like, we've got something that really works and we have no patent or license on it. I'm not trying to right. get money out of this, yet right. people aren't doing it. Right. And I think uh, patients find that very frustrating. I myself find it frustrating. And so I explain why that is in the last chapter. I don't think it's anybody, well, I know, it's not anybody not wanting to help the patient or being, you know, intentionally malevolent or whatever. It's the way we think and the way our systems end up being designed. And that's all in the last chapter. And with suggestions of how we could improve the system. 
so that uh, you know more people are made aware of this and are able to get it. What do you think? Let's say you've had HSCT, you're doing well, and all of a sudden you have a relapse. Are there certain things just from your experience that you feel could be a trigger to a relapse? Yes, but I've never done the statistical analysis. I could be totally wrong. And so I don't want anyone to get worried or anything. It's just right. an impression I have, and I don't know if it's correct statistically, but I think it's getting pregnant and then right after delivery or if you breastfeed after you stop breastfeeding. So I've noticed a much higher percentage of relapse in that subset of people. Uh, but again, I've never done gone back to analyze the data to see if this is statistically true. Right. But it's enough okay. where I would want, it's enough of my, there's always this time delay from when you have the idea to start this field, which I had 35 years ago, and then go through animal models for 10 years and then bring it to the bedside and sit at everybody's bedside and see what's going on. And then the time to write up the data and the publications, there's tremendous delay in there, but, and there's so much to do, you, you know, there's so much to write. You don't know where you're going to find the time to, to get that done right now. I've got another paper I need to work on that I don't have time for that actually has to do with my IPS work, which is what I want to bring forward. Yes, and we want to just, I want to ask you about that because for people like us, I think it's a perfect next step. But I uh, want you to tell me that. Back to Sorry. the relapse, it's enough of a sense of seeing that, that, you know, when a person after delivery, if they're not going to breastfeed to give, I'd like to see them get a few months every month of IV cellumedrol to try to prevent a relapse. Or if they're breastfeeding, that's okay. Breastfeeding seems to be protective when they stop breastfeeding a few months of it. Now, whether that would help or not, I don't know. And right. again, I haven't analyzed the data. Uh, and so I'm out there on very, very thin ice. And I can't in any way justify what I just said, except through my right. lived life experience with patients. Uh, so, and whether that would be effective or not, I don't know. But I, that would be my bias. So. IPS, is that your new adventure? Yes, um, it's new for you, it's new for the world. For me, it's not new. I've been working on that for 10 years. So I used to transplant leukemias, but I was working in animal models for 10 years on autoimmune diseases, and then I stopped cancer and leukemia totally, and I focused on autoimmune. It's probably why I got really good at autoimmune, because I totally gave up cancer. And nobody else in the world's doing that, you know, that you have... Uh, cancer doctors treating MS, but they don't know MS and they're not focused on it. And you have neurologists referring to patients, but they don't know transplant, they don't do it. So if you really want to get good, you got to focus on it. You know, it's like Federal Express became very good at delivering packages because that's all they do. They don't deliver, you know, a little envelope or whatever they didn't compete with post office packages. Uh, submarine sandwich shops got really good because that's all they make is submarine sandwiches. You know, I think people have this idea you want to diversify and make more money. And but if you really, really want to be good, you want to focus on one thing. And that's how I got successful at what I did. You know, uh, Albert Einstein in his five rules of life said, don't tell people how to, how to be successful, how you got successful. But how I did is I focused, I gave up cancer, I focused on autoimmune disease. Nobody else in the transplant world has really done that. And that is how I got really good at it. 
But while I was doing that, I also had another idea grab my gut about a way to treat aging and degenerative processes. So like autoimmune disease is just this chronic problem. You take drugs, it slows it, but you know, you're always on drugs and you still get worse, but you slow the worsening. So transplants really fundamentally changed that. And I had figured out right really good regimens for five diseases that I have experienced some others I haven't put in the book and where I think we could even perfect those regimens more. And I could spend my lifetime just finishing that. But 10 years ago, I had this idea how to use stem cells for aging and regenerative and uh, started working on that. And that I approached differently because it's a very, it's a true stem cell therapy. IPS are just where we take a adult cell and we genetically reprogram it back to the embryonic state and then we change it subtly. So it's a, it's a uh, universal nurse cell that repairs any organ or tissue independent of immunologic differences. So one cell would work for all of us in this conference or anybody listening. It's, it's not going to be restricted by the immune system in any way. And it repairs, as we found in animal models, any injured organ. doesn't matter if it's the heart or the spinal cord uh, or wounds. Or for that matter, we found we can make animals younger and we can make them more intelligent. I actually called that making them more intelligent by Flowers for Algeron experiment, you know, from the book Flowers for Algeron. There was a movie called Charlie based on that book. But in any event, um, you know, my goal, if uh, God willing, if I have enough time, is to bring those to patient bedside. And that's what I'm trying to do because that's simple. Uh, now, that's not for MS, it's not for an autoimmune disease, but it's for. Does not, like, that does not include remyelination? Well, yeah, then it, what it's for is for. Uh, like when you're in the neurodegenerative phase for for neuroregeneration or or remyelination, but it it could be used for any aging or traumatic right. process. Spin uh, spinal uh, injury. Yes, yes. In animal models, it was very effective for spinal cord injury. But uh, what that really involves is just injecting the cells. There's no hospitalization. There's, there's no chemo. No, no. But getting there, that's a whole, you know, to do that, we've got these seven patents and they're no secret. You can find them in the U.S. patent offices. Once they give it to you, they publish them. So everybody can find them. It's on the U.S. You have patent seven office. patents, you say? Yes. And so the goal here is now to get those to the patient bedside. But that's, we set up a little biotech company and we, you know, you have to generate money. And, you know, my goal is to do if I still have enough time left in this world, two phase one studies, one for wounds that don't heal in scleroderma patients, those digital ulcers, and the other is for neuroregeneration. Just two phase one, 10 patients each dose escalation. And if it looks good, you know, at that point, I think I'll be where I'd like to turn this over to others. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, it's, I know you think, oh, you can get this done in a year or two years. That's not true. Everything right. takes longer. 35 years ago, or 30 or whatever, I had the idea of stem cell transplant for MS. And I was young and I thought I'd have all the answers in five years. And here we are now. So fortunately, it is moving forward and we've had some really great results. And I'm seeing now patients 10, 15, 20 years out in all five of these diseases in remission, no drugs, doing great. But, and it, it needs to continue on. And my goal in the medical textbook, the publications I've written, the talks I give, and this lay book is to help make sure it goes on. It's my first child. Now it's in its teenage years, but I want it to grow up right in the teenage years and not get corrupted. And, uh, you know, the, uh, 
you know, I have a passion for it. I want to go forward, but I need to develop this other area. And, um, you know, that means I'm not going to be able to be 24 seven, like I was always was for the autoimmune world, but I'll see that it keeps going forward, uh, and play a, a, a role in it. It's, it's a passion. It's love for me, but I want to get these IPS going. Um, and again, that's, it's basically starting a mini, uh, biotech company is what we've done. So, and it, this, it's a whole nother set of problems and it keeps you young. Uh, you know, even writing a patent is a whole nother way to write, just like writing a, a medical you. or science paper is so much different than writing this, which is more humanities and I loved it. Writing a patent is a whole nother crazy way of writing that takes time to learn how to do and also extremely boring. <laughs> there, um, is there a world out there where Chicago will once again be offering HSCT to patients in the United States or beyond? No, I I will be offering HSCT at Scripps in La Jolla. And if you want it with I'm me. I'm sorry, in Scripps where? La Jolla. It's north of San Diego. Okay. Yeah, and so if you want it with me or people working with me, you can come there. But uh, I have gears turning and there are reasons for that. I I'm here in Chicago now and I commute back and forth, but the Chicago is for the uh, the IPS aspect of things. I hope down the line to uh, stop so much commuting, but again, I have to, this is a little bit out of my hands. I have to wait for gears to, uh, to turn. So let's say there are patients out there today or whenever they hear this, this podcast and they're like, oh my gosh, I think this is the answer for me. HSCT is the answer. I really need to look into this. Where would you recommend them to go? Of all the choices all over the world, where, where so, would you say, go you know, here, you, start here? If the patient wants myeloablative, they can, there are many centers in America doing myeloablative and they can go to them. But if they want non-myeloablative, you know, they can come to Scripps in uh, La Jolla, just north of San Diego. It's a beautiful hospital yeah. right on the beach. Rooms that look out over the Pacific Ocean unobstructed. So, And that's S-C-R-I-P-P-S? Yes, S-C-R-I-P-P-S. Like you've heard of Scripps Oceanography. Right, right. There's, there's several Scripps, so, but they're all kind of Scripps. You know. Yeah, if they want. Wonderful. Jody, you have any questions for yeah, Dr. Yeah, I, I did. I did have a question because I know, you know, talking um, to certain neurologists in Canada, obviously part of your, there's a very small sect of people that qualify for, for stem cells. And, and there's that kind of bridge where you can start out at RRMS, but then you come to a certain point and you're t labeled SPMS and the doctors can sometimes write you off. And so, so what, you know, what does someone with SPMS um, do at that point? Like say they, whether it's in Canada or whether, you know, at your clinic at one point you said, you know, this is not the course for you to do HSCT. What, what is coming up or what could they do as opposed so, to just laying down and dying? Basically? Yeah. So for active secretary progressive, I will offer HSCT. Uh, it's built in the protocol that is now active. You know, uh, so I wish I, I would have gotten to them before that, but because it can still have some benefit there, we would do it. When it's non-active, late secondary progressive, non-active secondary progressive or late secondary, no, I won't do it. Um, 
Uh, and there's a caveat to that. It gets a little more complicated than I think we should go into here. Uh, but um, but in terms of your question of what to do for secondary progressive MS, I think that's where you really need neuroregenerative therapy. That's what my IPS work is. Now, it can regenerate any organ system, but certainly one of them is neuroregeneration. And uh, as I said, I want to get two phase one studies eventually. That's exciting. One that's for these wounds that don't heal in scleroderma patients. I mean, even after transplant, the skin gets better, lungs get better, they get better quality of life better, but they can still get these, they still have renounce and they still get these non-healing ulcers. And I think that'll be very effective. I don't know, we'll just have to try. And the other would be for uh, neuroregeneration. Certainly I haven't yet defined where we would do that. There's again, a lot of things we have to do. There's, you have to do one step after another, but certainly secondary progressive or primary progressive MS could be indications for something like that. Well, that's encouraging to you. There's something coming but up. That's yes. the future. Yeah, right. And again, I my mind's ready to go there, but you know, you have to jump all these hoops and run these marathons before you can get there. And then the data is what the data is. And uh, right. hopefully it'll be what the animal data is showing, which is awesome. Uh, like had happened in the animal data when I was doing EAE, an animal model for MS for early or relapsing EAE, worked great for progressive EAE, didn't work, and that held up in humans. Uh, so we'll, but again, there's no guarantee until we do it. I have one more question before we let you go, and we really appreciate the time that you're taking to speak with us. And this is kind of backtracking a little. What do you say to a post-HSC patient who has been successfully transplanted? Let's say it's five years down the road. They get sinusitis. They get a UTI. They get the flu. All of their MS symptoms flare. Like they haven't had a single thing in all these years, and but they haven't been sick either or had an infection of any kind. They have an infection. Their symptoms flare up. They panic. Oh my gosh, I'm relapsing, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, if they just waited a few weeks, that could subside. What are your thoughts on that? Is there anything that you can say to those patients who are like, oh my gosh, I'm relapsing, to kind of talk them off the ledge as to what might be happening? Well, that scenario is not at all uncommon. Right. And, uh, those are almost always, but not always, almost always pseudo flares. In other words, um, any infection, any fever, even stress like marital stress or stress at work can cause pseudo flares. So if they're having significant symptoms, of course, we, even though suspecting a pseudo flare by what they're saying would ask them to get an MRI. If there's no new lesions or inflammation or enhancement, that's reassuring it's just a pseudo flare as well as, you know, if it's a UTI, you take the antibiotics or whatever. And then as, as that goes away, the pseudo flare resolves. Uh, so those aren't real acute attacks. Basically, once the central nervous system has been injured, which MS does, it's more sensitive. And, you know, fever, infections, significant emotional or life stress can bring those symptoms back out. But that's true, whatever the damage central nervous system. So inst for instance, if you talk to a person who's had a laminectomy, where they had a 
disc slip in the lower spine and the surgeon went in and cut the disc out and relieves the pressure. It's not uncommon, you know, when they have significant emotional stress or infections or whatever, that that pain comes back and they have to rest and let it go away. But if you do another MRI or CT scan, there's no new slip disc. It's just, it goes away as, as, they, um, as the stress goes away. Uh, and with the, so that's common in people who've had slip discs in surgery. And you know, once they're 10, 15, 20 years out from that, then that emotional stress doesn't seem to bring out, aggravate those symptoms like it did early on. And I think that's true with MS, that those stressors, as time goes on further, won't aggravate it as much. You won't be as impacted by these uh, pseudo flares. So basically, we reassure people that, you know, 95% of the time it's a pseudo flare. But, you know, if they were having symptoms that are significant or they're really worried, we get an MRI and make sure that there's no new lesions or no enhancement, which, you know, really... That is wonderful information because I've heard that a million times over the last 10 years. Oh my gosh, I'm relapsing. It's over. It didn't work. When in fact, they just need to ride out the infection. You know, obviously if, you know, two months later, they're still in the same situation, as you said, they need to consider an MRI. Or um, significant symptoms with it up front. I mean, I don't want people being worried and scared and we'll do it. And a lot of times, you know, when you talk to them and say this is common and the symptoms aren't that strong, then they're okay and they can wait and they see it gets better. But obviously, if if they're stressed, I don't want them to continue to be stressed and we'll get the answer with the MRI. But also treat the infection, tell them that's most likely it. And very rarely it is a relapse, but usually it's not. The vast majority of the time it's not. Pseudo flare, which is frustrating. So I tell patients when they go out there, if that happens, don't go to your neurologist because I've seen them go to neurologists and neurologists say it's a flare and they start steroids. Well, then you yes. can't do the MRI because it hides the inflammation and you don't never really know. So, and then because they said that you have to count it as a, as a relapse, but there's no documentation it was and it sounds like it was just a pseudo flare. So we right. have to caution patients, the first person you call is us. I mean, of course, if you can't walk, you go to the emergency room and have the emergency room doctor call. But that also means you have to be able to answer the phone at two in the morning for an emergency room and stuff like that. And uh, right. so I have to go down this IPS path, which is a whole amount of other time. And, you know, like I said earlier, to get really good at something, you have to focus on it. And so right. now, yeah, I got really good at transplant for immune disease because I stopped transplanting cancers and leukemias totally uh, and focused on it. And Really, that's what I need to do with IPS, but because of my yeah. love for this that I started in, because I feel it's not going in the right direction with these myeloblative regimens, because I still hear so much things that are just not accurate out there, including from physicians. You know, I wanted to get these publications out and I want to see, I will still be seeing patients go forward, but I've got to make the IPS work. And, uh, you know, I, I, if, push comes to shove i'm going to have to make a selection but i'll do the best i can i know i'm excited trust me there are tons of patients out there just like us who still have damage from ms um even though you know our disease has been halted wouldn't we love to see some reversal even if a little so and just you know spinal cord injuries organ regeneration or re repair 
that's exciting stuff. Like very exciting. So we, well, we applaud you. It's where I was 30 years ago with autoimmune diseases. So after 30 years, I'm right back where I started. <laughs> so how cool is that? What keeps you young? Yes. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. I'm hoping your assistant or someone can provide us with a link to scripts. If you will email me, you can use my university email that you always have, because I have both. Okay. I will forward that uh, uh, link to you. Of course, we're going to have links to uh, the book. Yes. To, so then, people can purchase it. We also set up I, a website to inform people. It's called astemcelljourney.com. Oh, cool. astemcelljourney.com. Tons of data in there, and all my publications are there. So, you know, if you're not part of a university, you can't get a university library, you can go to my link and get it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't put other people's papers, just mine. But yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's a stem, all one word, a stem cell journey.com. And uh, lots of information there, videos, and everything. So, uh, link that as well. Email me, and I'll, uh, I'll follow up with what Wonderful. You're, you're requesting. And I highly recommend the book to anybody who's considering HSCT or anybody who's had HSCT. It's just so interesting to see how it all evolved from the get-go. I actually think anybody with an autoimmune disease, and more importantly, anybody in the healthcare profession, whether business or medical or nurse or a phlebotomist or whatever, or technologist or whatever they are, or anybody interested in healthcare policy in the direction of our country, I think you'll really enjoy this book. And I so it's just making people aware of it so that yeah. that they read it. And everybody who has read it has been shocked that I wrote it, you know, in a pleasant way. <laughs> so I loved it. You can loved it. it. Your your so, how you were open about everything. I, There's nothing I, you didn't touch on. Well, I don't talk talk about personal animosity. Everybody has that in their career, but that's irrelevant. I talk about systematic problems with it as well as the development of the field. But um, um, I've had people when they read it ask me, so who's the ghostwriter? <laughs> well, thank you very much for your confidence in me. <laughs> so, but it was much fun to write. It really was. And it was every patient that I worked with, they were so phenomenally great and enthusiastic about it. And I did ask the patients to try not to say anything until it comes out because other patients would be asking me to be a part of it. And because of the limitations and the size, I can't do that. And then that would be a horrible situation to say no to someone. But uh, it's out there now and I'm really glad I did it and had the opportunity to do it. But it's important that people read it. And it's important also for healthcare. Yeah. And in fact, as a whole, a chief of staff in the US Congress uh has figured it out he's read it and uh, he's going to give uh, one book to every u.s congressman and u.s senator uh so you know because i think if you read the last chapter and you read through it i mean there needs to be changes in our health care system and mm -hmm. this outlines some tweaks that are important to make the patient first um but um, you know the, the system is obviously very big and self-entrenched, and it, you know I don't know if it, it can change easily, but I, you know change has to occur. 
you know, just the fact how people have to fight and what they have to go through, how even after you do better, you go back to a neurologist and tells you this was the wrong thing. And, uh, you know, fighting with insurance companies and so forth. It's kind of crazy. It's not working. You know, the, the system exists for the patient, but a lot of the patients find it's not working for them and they have to fight and fight and fight for themselves, even fight to find out about this. Uh, so um, when it really exists. And right. so, you know, for me, I also mentioned like some of the frustrations when you know you can help someone and you can't because the system is working against you, although no one's intentionally being malevolent. But, uh, you know, I bring out ways to tweak the system that could benefit the patients and benefit the field uh, that hopefully people who, whether they're lawyers or legal or legislative or whatever, can start to pick up on and that, uh, you know, carry the ball forward on that end of things. Basically, I think you were saying, trying to bring forth how we need to be as patient-centric as we are profit-centric. We need to be first and foremost patient-centric. Now, a physician is pulled away from that when he's an employee who has yes. to satisfy the rules yeah. and the money and the expectation of the employer. Yeah. And that needs to change. There are four states in America that don't allow hospitals to own physicians. That's a very wise thing. And I hope that catches on. But, you know, we need to make it so that physicians own finances and career isn't in jeopardy by being able to dig in and fight for his patient against the system, which when you're employees, it becomes impossible to do that or to take it very far. So hopefully you need an advocate an advocate that's free to advocate for you. Like, as I said, when you go to get a lawyer, if you need one, God forbid, but if you need one, you don't want a lawyer working for the district attorney who's trying to prosecute you or for the prosecuting attorney who's coming after you. Obviously, he's not gonna be able to really fairly represent you, no matter what he says, because his paycheck's coming from them. So, you know, medicine is a profession. Healthcare is a business. You need an independent representative to bridge that gap to help you, not only for your medical and psychological care, but for financial care as well, and understands that. And that's what's missing in our field. It's, it's just the way the system has developed and has continued to, to expand and feed on itself, where everybody's in their own silos but the patients are being lost as to what that's why the system these silos have developed. So I bring that out in the last chapter. Yeah, I loved it. Dr. Bird, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Um, we will let you know when uh, the podcast is coming out. It will be within the month, hopefully within a couple of weeks. See the, uh, the web address for it? This podcast will be on YouTube, yes? Yes, it's going to be on YouTube and it's going to be on several other Instagram everywhere. So send me the YouTube address. Yes. Because what I'll do is I'll put it on my A stem cell journey and link it. Wonderful. Yeah.
wonderful. We will do that. All right. Thank you. You so have much. a wonderful rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Any more questions? And you know, if you ever Jody? have questions down the line, feel free to just uh, email me. You also have my personal email, but don't give that out. <laughs> I think. Don't you have my personal? Well, I'll do email? that. I'm Can you sure. imagine? I'm, I'm not sure if you do or not. Some, if, maybe you only have the one university email. I have your assistance. Okay. I think I have. I think I have your assistance email address. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Always... Jody, anything else? I have a burning personal question, but it's probably not the avenue to talk about it. So. Yes, I, I I'm actually, despite what I wrote in here, I'm a very private you know, with person with some introverted tendencies. Oh, okay. So yeah, I don't, I tend not to go down that road. Oh, sorry. I meant, I meant for myself. Oh, no. no. I'll be glad <laughs> sorry. I meant for a specific question for my own history that, but I, I respect that you're. But let's do camera. that where you're not on a camera so that it stays confidential for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. So I'll follow okay, up with you. John. I'll give you my cell if you want to call. Okay, perfect. There you go. Thank How's you. that? Thank you so much. Take care. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. For more information on the MS Gym, you can find them on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and at www.themsgym.com. We'll see you on the next episode.